This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. Hello. Hi. If we uh, sound a bit different this week, it's because we're recording in Chris Young's parents' flats. We've got a special which, guest. Which is quite cavernous. And in the background, you might be able to hear their lovely family dog, Bella, panting very loudly. She's a very old dog. Bella she gets very excited. She Bella's a famous a dog. She's been featured in the Metro. She's been featured in... She's at the local Leon. There's a nearby branch of Leon. Oh, no, wait. No, that's not Bella. That's Chris himself as a baby. All so right, you're getting Chris. They're both adorable. Yeah, basically the young family, including their dog. Yeah, you'll see them around and about. Anyway, so the latest step into fame for Bella is that uh, she has agreed to be present in the podcast. We asked her kindly to pant loudly for the next forty-five to minutes to an hour while we record, and she's been very obliging. So, so enjoy that little bit of ambience. So, Danny, so what is uh, what is this podcast? What what uh, what's what's the premise of it? Well, tell, tell me about it. Sam, Film Chat is a podcast set during spring break in Fort Lauderdale, in Florida. It features a Texas singing waitress called Sam Foster who meets a Pennsylvanian college student called Dan Moran and they fall in love, but various romantic complications ensue. Sam's friend Kaya falls in love with a charming busboy called Carlos. Sam's other friend Alexa schemes to keep Danny and Sam from meeting. Danny's friend Brandon is always getting on the wrong side of a sexy beach patrol woman, and Danny's other friend, Eddie, is trying to hook up with a cyber pal. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the film, or at least the Wikipedia entry for, from Justin to Kelly, the 2001 musical which starred American Idol winner Kelly Clarkson and American Idol runner-up Justin Gurani. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a man with the voice of an angel and the face of an angel... Sam Foster. Hello. Um, this week, we're reviewing a pair of colourful, confident films. They're both a ton of fun. They're both excellent. Bong Joon-ho's Okja, which will make you cry about a giant super pig. And Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, which will make you want to choreograph everything you do to a banging tune. This introduction itself is choreographed to a banging tune. It's perfectly synced to Mbop by Hanson. Ba-do-ba-bop-bop-mbop. We also discussed the news that Phil Lord and Chris Miller have told Disney they will see them in hell and left the Han Solo movie. 
And the news that the Broccoli family is contemplating a James Bond shared cinematic universe because nobody has any ideas anymore. Well, that should leave just enough time for me to launch my own species of genetically engineered super animal, a kind of massive horse that's really smart and loyal and tastes like risotto. 26 countries will be sent a baby super horse to be ridden for the next 10 years by Olympic dressage people until the horse has reached its prime. At which point they will all be graphically slaughtered on YouTube in order to encourage everyone to become a vegetarian in a kind of big art stunt. It's going to be sick. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait. Can't wait. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films. got a message on the film chat twitter account a dm from olivia waring she sent us a link to a trailer for a new morrissey biopic which i did not know existed until we received this link she says well the morrissey biopic looks utterly bland which is bound to upset him the movie is called england is mine Danny england, I- is, england mine. is mine it owes me a living that's a lyric from the song still ill smith song uh so we watched a trailer for this it looked pretty... Pretty nondescript. Pretty nondescript. There was no Smiths music in it, which wasn't a great sign. Is this going to be like that Hendrix biopic where there's no, there was no Hendrix music in it? Well, it looks like it's like pre-Smiths, right? It's all the events leading up to him and Johnny Moore making musical Before history. Before I joined the Smiths. Do you think it's a case of... Because they, they had quite an acronym... Acrono, what's the word I'm looking for? A- acrimonious? That's the one. Acrimonious split. So do you think just they can't include any Smiths music because Johnny Moore wouldn't sign off on... But did Morrissey sign off on it? Who's who's running the show here? I'm sh- well. Morrissey strikes me as a bit of a self-aggrandizing guy. So it's almost like we're gonna make a film about how you're such a sort of troubled young genius. I yeah. think he'd be all for it, wouldn't he? He's gonna insist the film is released as a Penguin classic <laughs> on DVD. <laughs> straight into the Criterion Collection. <laughs> straight, straight into the Criterion Collection. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it's a bit of an odd choice in a way because he is somebody who's spent his recent, uh, like, last few years, like, completely trashing whatever reputation he had previously by being, like, a massive crank and a narcissist and saying a bunch of, like, racist stuff. So I'm not sure exactly what the audience is for this. It seems like it's going to be quite narrow. It's like, ignore Morrissey now. I remember when he was, like, a cute little guy just trying to find himself, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, a series of beautiful women encouraged him to embrace his art, which is the impression I got from the trailer. It's like one of those movies where there's like moody boys and like there's all these girls like, go on, lad, you go can on. do it. You can do it. You can do it. I don't, it doesn't matter if the man wants you to get a job. You write that poetry. I bet you will be successful one day. Yeah, the thing that's strange about it is that uh, I don't really like biopics at all. I think they're quite an unwieldy and they're quite a bland genre because yeah. they all just end up the same. Yeah, have, like crush someone's life into a free act structure. They're very sentimental as well, That's aren't true. they? Yeah, but it's also like the only reason those movies are worth watching is for the kind of recreation of iconic moments and uh, music and stuff like that. So it'd be a bit, like it's a bit weird. I guess my point is, like, imagine if Morrissey wasn't famous, would you want to see a film by like a mopey guy who like 
tried his hand at songwriting. You just like, know that he will be successful later. Yeah, yeah, if it wasn't, you know, if it was a fictional story, would there be any value in it? Yeah. Also, his personality outside of his music seems really unappealing. Yeah, seems even when else. you, if you like, even Smiths fans, I imagine, you know, which I count myself among, uh, if you just sort of read the lyrics to the songs, like some of them have good lyrics, but you wouldn't be like, this guy seems like he'd be awesome to hang out with. I'd love to spend 90 minutes just seeing what is what he did with his day, you know? He wandered through the cemetery gates. Yeah. And then yeah. he read some yeets. It's very close to just like shit teenage whining, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, no. So, I don't know. It doesn't look super. Also, England is Mine sounds like something a... Uh, it sounds like a sequel to London Has Fallen or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, It sounds like something a supervillain would say in an action movie. It sounds like something like the slogan of the EDL, to be honest with you. Yes, but there's probably a certain amount of crossover anyway, because he is a bit of a nationalist. Oh, God. In a kind of, like, Republican way, you know? He's a bit yeah. like the Kinks. He reminds me of them, that kind of, like, little England. I love the little shops and the, you know... Yeah, yeah. Cups of tea. Yeah, but it's very white. There's a yeah, sort yeah, of background yeah, yeah, yeah. whiteness true. to it. Yeah. Um, I had a thought. Yes. To perhaps round off this segment. Oh, please, please. Morrissey would love Okja. That's it's true. This, it's this kind of movie. You know what they Meat could have murder. called? You know what they could have called it? Meat is murder. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm, it's not tasty or nice. <laughs> death for no reason. And death, death for no, no reason is murder. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So last week we didn't have any reviews, we just had that wonderful interview, which I hope you'll listen to, but it's been quite good to take a break because in the period we've been off, a lot of news has been coming out about the Han Solo movie. Yeah. First of all, Lord and Miller, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who were the directors of the 21 and 22 Jump Street movies and the Lego movie and the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, all their movies have been massive critical and commercial successes. They were filming the Han Solo movie, but they've left due to creative differences, which is the usual line on these things. Mm. And in the past few days, lots of interesting tidbits of information have come out about what exactly happened. Apparently, there was a big clash between the script, which was written by legendary screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan, who co-wrote The Force Awakens and Empire Strikes Back and wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark and a bunch of... Classics. A bunch of classics. And he wrote the script of his son, uh, Jake. And then Lord and Miller apparently their style of improv and comedy and being a bit loose with the structure was causing a lot of problems, a lot of creative butting of heads. They should have just let Lord and Miller write. I mean, all their previous movies have been writer-director movies, right? Yeah. And apparently this came to um, irreconcilable heads and they decided to walk away from the project. So it was directorless for a while, but luckily a saviour has emerged. They found the, the closest equivalent you can get to Phil Lord and Chris Miller in terms of sensibility. Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Obviously Ron Howard. Obviously. Obviously Ron Howard. Yeah, it's a really bizarre one. And it begs the question, why hire them in the first place? It's a bit like overcompensating for hiring them, isn't it? It's like someone was like, oh my God, what have we done? We hired two directors with an incredibly distinctive uh, <laughs> voice and who you know, would like a lot of tight control over their movies um and let's get the exact opposite of that <laughs> who's the guy who's so boring he was just he was used as like the narrator on arrest development just like where part of the gag is how little character he has in how he speaks 
And then his most recent movie was like Inferno, starring Tom Hanks, which was terrible. Which was terrible. What's the opposite of a critical and commercial success? Can we get a guy who's coming off the back of a series of films people hated? We tried. We tried a guy who's coming off the back of films people loved, and that's not working out. So yeah. we need someone at a low ebb. <laughs> we, we tried a high ebb team, and now we need a real low ebb team. Somebody will, who have no bargaining position whatsoever. Somebody we can just push. Why don't they just like just get any random person to direct it? You should just have like uh, Kathleen. Uh, What's she called? Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy, yeah. Yeah, she can just go in and, you know, get the the best boy to direct it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, why, you know, get Corbin to direct it. The absolute boy, get him in. (laughs) He'd do a great job. Yeah, of course he would. Of course he would. (laughs) Next PM. Um, Yeah, I had, like, little to no interest in the Han Solo movie before Lord and Miller were attached. I was like, oh, that could be kind of interesting. Uh, and now I'm only interested in the sort of morbid, like how much of a disaster is it going to be, and is it going to be like an obvious shift in gear when they got fired, and the like the final act of the movie will be like boring as hell. Yeah, there'll I be mean, a, there'll be a literal record scratch. Uh, yeah, yeah. Halfway through. I mean, like it could be a case that the script was dynamite and they were ruining it, but I don't. I don't you know what I mean? So. Like yeah. I feel like the way we talk about these kind of projects is always seems to her on the side of the crazy directors and like maybe the script was really good i don't know like yeah, well i don't know i i feel like the can stand thing is a little bit like an attempt on the p- part of the producers to recapture past glories isn't it yeah it's like you just literally hire the same person who did it before and it was good and even though he hasn't done anything of much notes since then uh it doesn't yeah, matter. It doesn't matter. He's probably still great. And if he's having trouble, he can ask his son, who he's genetically passed on the ability to write scripts to. Um, so, uh, you know, between the two of them, I'd much rather have Lord and Miller. You want, you want to make a movie that feels like, in some way, that it's contributing to culture now. Yeah. Why, why would you have an origin story that just feels like a retread of the past films? Make something new. Absolutely. And th- those guys, like... Lord and Miller are part of a very small number of people who've made films which feel very distinctively their own, are very, very confident, and are commercially uh, successful and, you know, critically successful. They're kind of dynamite. Like, if you get those guys, just let them do whatever they want. Like, they're obviously really smart. I mean, I really think that there's there's no reason for this studio not to simply accommodate them. And I know that these movies are, like, super high risk. But we were talking a bit about this before, uh, earlier today in our sort of pre-recording chat prep chat prep chat uh but you're saying that all they really need is movies with a zingy trailer that they can market effectively yeah. and there's i really can't imagine these guys would not have delivered that film you know no yeah, no absolutely like the the appeal of your movie is based on the property that you are selling to people and that doesn't change regardless of who the director is so why not just get some guys who will you know, have only made films that everyone loved and that made tons of fucking money. Yeah, it kind of... The thing that makes me worried, um, not so much about the Hans Snow movie, but the upcoming episode eight, because I don't want... I want Ryan Johnson to have made the film he wanted to make. And yeah. I'm a bit worried they're going to clipped his wings slightly. Yeah. Because I guess the hiring of J.J. Abrams makes more and more sense in that he will deliver the exact kind of movie they want because... He doesn't really have much of a vision of it. He, he, he just wants, crawled he, straight out of the studio's like like collective brain, didn't he? Like he's just fits the like absolutely modern he studio is somebody, filmmaking perfectly. His, he wants to invoke those old movies, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
by literally copying them. That's sort of his thing. He's the absolute archetype of the um, modern studio attitude to filmmaking, which is ultra commercial, like um, super fast paced, entertains you every fucking second, completely soulless, but <laughs> pretending to have a soul via references to older films. Yeah, yeah. That's like, that's that's what they want. But I don't know. I guess because it's like Gareth Edwards had these troubles... And not that Gareth Edwards, I particularly view as an amazing auteur, but he seems a bit more revision than J.J. Abrams and Lord and Miller, the same. So I really hope, because like Ryan Johnson's films, the only one I'm particularly interested in. Like, yeah. I don't want to see Colin Trevorrow's Trevor episode. Trevorrow seems nice, like an idiot. It's going to be shit. I don't know what they'll make next. The Boba Fett origin movie. I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Ryan Johnson is a real director. I don't know. Not that the others aren't, but... No, he's good. Ryan he's, Johnson's really good. I mean, he sells some, great. He he doesn't have as distinctive a like authorial stamp, I think, as Lord and Miller do. Yeah, that's true. Um, but his movies have been good. Like Looper was really good. So, like, I imagine that if they let him do what he wanted, he would produce a good movie. But I don't know. We'll 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 see. We'll see how that one turns out. But this just seems like with all these things, all this kind of like behind the scenes gossip, you always have to guess a bit because you don't really know what's going on. Of course. Uh, but like I'd be, it just seems like this is a dumb decision, and and it's also setting yourself up to fail because if this movie sucks now, everyone's gonna be like, why don't you just let Lord and Miller do what they wanted? Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, so it's the by now practically weekly story about an upcoming shared cinematic universe. I love uh, cinematic universe. The hot ticket to success for every Hollywood producer, except that it has only worked one time so far. But does not stopping them. Not at They're all. They're still trying to replicate that Marvel formula. Uh, apparently, not noticing that the Marvel thing is really based on loads of existing properties that already have a shared universe, rather than trying to like create love for some random character by you know giving them a spinoff. But anyway, so uh, someone, the, the Hollywood rumor mill has been grinding away and this guy called Jeff Snyder from something called The Tracking Board tweeted that he heard that the Broccoli's have caught universe fever and would love to explore other corners of the Bond franchise simultaneously. What? What? So in a way, this this sounds like a kind of um, lots of film-related terms in a tombola and you reach into it and pull two of them out. And, <laughs> you know, this is just that kind of story. But it also feels inevitable because they don't know where to go with the Bond movies right now. Like Daniel Craig is, doesn't seem at all keen. He said something like on the press tour for uh, the last movie, he was like, I'd rather chew off my own balls than do another Bond movie. Yeah. And... Uh, so, you know, there's been rumors about who would be cast in a new Bond and stuff like that. So it's not that surprising they're looking to uh, shake it up and go in a new direction. Um, I'm reminded by the Birth Movies Death Story that I'm currently reading that they had plans to do this in 2002 after Dawn of the Day came out. Apparently oh, wow. some studio person wanted to do a Jinx solo film. The, wow. Halle, the Halle Berry character in Dawn of the Day. Oh, Jinx. Yes, of course. Jinx. She's got the name that sounds like it could be uh, a film name. She was born on Friday the 13th. And that was her, the origin of her name. That's why she's called Jinx. That's why she's called Jinx. Great name. Great character. Uh, 
she's got she flirts with uh, Pierce Brosnan. She stabs Rosamund Pike in the chest. She stabs Rosamund Pike in the chest. Calls her a bitch. Calls her a bitch. Yeah, because the two female characters always have to fight in a movie. Uh, there's a bit where she takes she takes off a robe and she's in a bikini and she jumps into the sea. Pretty great bit. So, uh, so yeah. So, Danny, you uh, are the sort of resident film chat Bond man. You've seen all the Bond I've films. Seen all the Bonds. What would you? How would you spin off? Like, what character do you want to see get their own film? Do you want like a Jaws movie where he's got to take on a lot of cables or Jaws origin story? Jaws origin story. Well, no, how did he teeth. get those teeth? How did he get those teeth? Is it going to be? It's going to be a question of like Wolverine. You know, like is he yeah. powerful? It like was is it, is it metal or was it like bone claws they put metal on it'll be like what did he already have really powerful jaws and they just put metal on the jaws or is the metal making his jaws powerful that's the question i want to see answered <laughs> in a two-hour film <laughs> yeah I odd, mean, how did odd job get his first hat thing is like if you if it's not a bond movie it's like it'll be like a spy movie but with a different character it's like isn't it just like any other non-bond film yeah, I think it is It is a weird idea in a way because it's so focused around Bond you yeah. know, and around a really, really specific set of like quirks and lines and like, well, plot things. Yeah, when this news was like doing the rounds on Twitter, people were saying, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Naomi Harris had her own Moneypenny movie? Is it like, it'd be like a black why spy? Though? Like, it's like, why don't I just have a... But she's a shit character. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, just ha- just make a movie about a black female spy. Don't, don't make it Moneypenny. Yeah, yeah, but that's all. What would be the title of the Bond universe? It's so vague. It's just a collection of, um, uh, you know, wardrobe choices at this point. Yeah, like, absolutely. What, what defines yeah. a Bond movie? Like cars? <laughs> it's got some it, cars in it. an expensive car. And a watch, maybe? There's an expensive suit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's sex at least twice. Yeah. It's so, like, vague and, like, especially because the Bond movies were very influential in the 60s. So now, like, all action movies are sort of. Their DNA runs from that. Yeah. I don't know how would you make... Unless it's like, you know, unless they got Lord Nuren to do a Bond movie, in which case I'm all for it. Get Tarantino in to do it. Yeah. Get Tarantino to direct a Bond film and get Pierce Brosnan back to play Bond again. That'd be awesome. I think that's what they should do. Just get Roger Moore back. Just use every shot oh, they shit. had of him, recreate him digitally, like um, Peter Cushing style. And then get someone to do a good uh, Roger oh, Moore. Oh man, I would love that zombie Bond. The whole zombie film, Bond. you're absolutely freaked out by this weird sort of shiny ghoul Bond. How about Daniel Craig gets haunted by Roger Moore? He teaches him how to be a bit more of a gentleman. He's like, I'm very unhappy with your performance, Daniel. You're quite the brute these days. You're rather surly. You're rather surly. You need to be more suave, like me. And he like teaches him uh, how to be a bit more of a gentleman. Yeah, and be a bit more charming. You know, yeah. he's such a fucking charmless Bond, Daniel Craig. I think I think this is the the franchise should just take the next logical step and just stop making films entirely and only be advert tie-ins. Yeah. The next Bond movie should literally be an ad for like an Omega watch and it's not a movie, it's just an advert for it. It's like posters. Uh you know you know in the last time they had the little Naomi Harris thing where she was like jumping about in uh, South Bank and Oh yeah, she had like a, a nice camera right on her phone. She's so trying she to she's trying to retrieve Bond's phone or something yeah. like that should be it. Like, that should be all that they do. There should be no film. The film is the most pointless bit. It only exists to sell these products and stuff. So, like, just do that. Just sell them. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask-punchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Reviews now say there's a a review of a film so minor and disposable that I completely forgot to mention it in my intro that Danny saw. Danny, 
What was it? The film was Hampstead, which um, was the latest in a series of my me and my mum's cinematic dates. My mum was to see the, likes to see these gentle movies about old people just all like plodding along. about, yeah. And uh, I accompany her to these films and we have a jolly nice old time. <laughs> so Hampstead is directed by Joel Hopkins and written by Robert Festinger. It stars Diane Keaton, who is a widower living in a massive apartment block overlooking Hampstead Heath. She's generally a bit miserable, partly because her late husband has left her with a bunch of debts, and also because she's tired of her slightly superficial life and superficial friends. And she strikes up a friendship with Brendan Gleeson, who is this guy who lives in a shack he's built on the Heath. And the film is about their romance, backdrop by a sort of courtroom element where evil developers want the land that Brendan Gleeson's shack is built upon. And I tried to look for a clip, but the movie is so forgettable, they just forgot to make clips of it. Fair enough. Uh, but just imagine, just ponder that synopsis and imagine what the film would be like. It's like that. So it is absolutely the movie that that premise suggests it is. It's a very gentle, untaxing watch, which will not really peak your emotional register above four, maybe. It's like, uh, it's very disposable. And I would say it's not as polished as it could have been. And the plotting is a bit messy. And you can sort of see the movie it's trying to be in that it's about two lonely people. One of them is literally a hermit who has sealed himself away from other people. And the other person is superficially ensconced in society. A socialite. But she is a bit lonely and fed up with that world and doesn't really fit in. And the two lonely people will connect and find they have much in common. But this story is kind of poorly served. And Brendan and Diane's relationship is very conflict-free. They kind of get on immediately. And it has that classic rom-com thing where... Now they must have an argument to be apart for a reason. Hate that. Even though they're so just sort of fine. Most and, tiresome cliche. Yeah, yeah. And that happens in this movie. And it's particularly true of the very end of the movie, which kind of they felt like they, you know, this movie's got to be another 10 minutes long. So have an argument, guys. And, and then patch up. And patch up. And it's the end of the movie. And it always rings a bit false. And that's very true of this movie. And it's also um, hard to buy that Diane Keaton really has money problems when she has this massive flat and is always wearing incredibly stylish clothes and just sort of ponces about Hampstead. And also one of the points of the movie is that all this stuff is kind of superficial and doesn't matter. So all the time spent on this plotline of her debts is like, well, I mean, it's fine, isn't it? She'd still be very wealthy if she stole, sold all this shit. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it does sort of kick up a bit towards the end with this courtroom drama. A bit like B-movie. A bit like B-movie, just because by their nature, those courtroom scenes have a bit of structure to them. And lefty that I am, I quite like impassioned speeches taking uh, on the taking it, on the developers to the man, you know. Yeah. And uh, but basically the reason this movie works is because the leads are very charming. Brendan Gleeson is a very charismatic guy and uh, very like, very attractive. I can see why you'd fall for him even though he's not like, you know, he's not some gym fit yeah, chiseled man. He's got a certain charm to him. And he's for, very, for, um, for an older fatter man, he's quite sexy. Yeah, and he's very very soothing presence I find. Oh, he is soothing certainly. If yeah, I was very in an soothing. emergency Situation and Brendan Gleeson turned out. I'll be like, oh, it's all oh. gonna be fine. Just give him a shoulder, a little squeeze, and yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of rumble to me He's about like a nice cup things. Of tea of a guy, you he know? is. Yes. It's very comforting. He's a cup of tea you want to fuck. Yeah, like a really fuckable cup of tea. You know, yeah. really bangable PG tips. <laughs> and uh, Diane Keaton is Diane Keaton. You know, she's Annie Hall. Charming. She can do no wrong, and she's just doing her slightly ditzy shtick. It's kind of funny that she's doing it like forty years later. And I suspect that the oh, role gee. was written uh. for a more like middle-aged actress and then they got Diane Keaton to do it because she's in her 70s and Brendan Gleeson's in his 60s. 
And there's also a sort of slightly uh, a kind of slimy guy who's got the hots for her, played by this actor Jason Watkins, who's in his 50s. He's like, well, everyone's lusting after Keaton. <laughs> Keaton, she's still got who can, it. Who, who can blame them? Who can blame it? She's pretty hot. And uh, yeah, the other actors are really good. In these types of movies, you have a, like, a sort of roster of just British character actors who've just been hired for a few days' work and just sort of come in, nail their lines, and leave. And that's particularly true of um, Phil Davis, who is this... You may not recognize the name, but you recognize the face. He's in Alan Clark movies and Mike Lee films and just like one of those sort of stalwart British character actors. But he's kind of great. He's got this very kind of functional role that's will come in. But he's this whole little complete character. It's a bit like they've uh, like they've hired a plumber when like the mains is burst. And this guy's come in. And he's like, oh, what's it? Three lines? I'll fix it. Done. He comes in, nails the lines, yeah. and leaves. And he's just kind of great. So it's a very untaxing, extremely forgettable watch, which could have been done with being about 10 minutes shorter. But my mum really enjoyed it so yeah i guess it's achieved its goals this this review sound fits the pattern of all of your mum date films right it's always like yeah it's, it's like nothing eh, really happens nothing really happens it's quite gentle it's fine yeah i think these films could do with just hiring a kind of sharp comedy writer for like one week's work just like do a little polish and, and throw in a few more jokes and you know yeah, yeah. it is what it is which is a fine movie Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Okay, Baby Driver. The much-anticipated next film from Edgar Wright, who most recently made at World's End, his uh, capping final film for the Cornetto trilogy, um, and was going to uh, make Ant-Man, a Marvel film he was working on for a very, very long time until he left due to creative differences. And uh, he has he's back, and he's come out with this fun driving film. So he wrote and directed it. It stars um, Ansel Elgort as the baby driver. He's called Baby, but he's a driver. And baby he's, driver. He's a baby driver, and he is a getaway driver for a gang of criminals headed by Kevin Spacey, who has a different group of people to do a number of different heists. And Baby drives them uh, to the heists and from back from the heists. The gang of lowlifes includes John Bernthal, John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, uh, and some other some other people. Um, Flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And Flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And it's a kind of uh, classic thing where he's got to do one last job or whatever, um, but he really wants to get out of life of crime and run off with Lily James, who plays a uh, adorable local waitress. And here is a clip of them having a little chat in the diner. So you're just starting your day, or did you just get off? Oh, I don't know if I ever get off. They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a like a chauffeur. You drive around important people. I guess I do. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. Well, aren't you mysterious? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so when was the last time you hit the road just for fun? Yesterday. Oh, I'm jealous. Sometimes all I want to do is head west on 20 in a car I can't afford with a plan I don't have. Just me, my music, and the road. I'd like that, too. 
Aww. Adorable. Uh, lovely. So it was exciting to see another Edgar Wright movie, especially one where he felt like he had creative control, could kind of uh, do what he wanted, because Ant-Man was so sad to see him depart that project. And the film came out and was this weird hybrid of an Edgar Wright movie and just some like bland, boring film. <laughs> And I thought it was great. Like I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it a lot. I think the best way to describe it as being basically like a car chase version of La La Land, but like good. And it reminded me a bit of um, <laughs> Car Car Land. Car Car Land. Well, they actually did a um, a series of like a oh, film wow, series okay. at the BFI, I think, or somewhere. Or oh, maybe it's Pitch House, but it was called Car Car Land. Oh, wow. Um, no, I thought. Unoriginal. Um, but yeah, it was a bit like, it reminds me of something that he said about Scott Pilgrim when he was promoting that movie and saying that it was like a musical, except instead of bursting into song, people burst into fights. And this movie is like that, except instead of bursting into song, they burst into car chases and like shootouts. And it feels like the sort of rightism to the max, which is this kind of ultra precise, very intricate form of filmmaking where the movie is like this complicated ticking machine not not that in that it's incredibly laid but in, in that every single second feels like it's been precision engineered to be just so yeah and in scott pilgrim the kind of excuse for making it that way was these like comic book origins and like the video game aesthetic and everything was uh, tied into that and there was like a million references to that going on all the time and in this movie it's the fact that the main character baby is really into music because he suffers from tinnitus and listens to music all the time to kind of drown, drown out the background um, humming noise in his ears and so he's always listening to music and basically everything that happens in the film is choreographed to specific tracks and songs and it's this distillation of the sort of rather superficial coolness associated with awesome things happening to awesome songs but done in this incredibly carefully made way and i think one of the successes of the film is that that doesn't feel too annoying particularly because it's not really that far away from how a lot of fancy adverts are made like and there are bits of the movie that do look a bit like they could be like an advert for a phone or something when it you know this is sort of complicated choreographed but super fun everything's bright and colorful like the bit at the beginning where he's walking out to get the coffee and it's like all soundtracks yeah yeah but it's made with so much passion and so much energy and he's obviously loves what he's doing so much and he loves the songs that he's chosen um and it's just this very eager movie it's sort of hyper eager to please in the way that la la land was but without the pretentiousness or the efforts to elevate itself or, or whatever it's just very straightforward and rather sharply written in the way that edgar wright's movies usually are so like the script is like a cut above just a pure genre yeah you know film and yeah i liked it a lot yeah, yeah, I, I, fun with it. I, I would agree. With, I would agree with a lot of that. Maybe all of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that it reminded me a lot of Ben Wheatley's Free Fire in that they are both films which obviously originated concepts, and I don't think never escapes that. So the whole movie, obviously, the first idea was I'm going to soundtrack a awesome car chase to an awesome track, and then I'll reverse engineer a story around that. And I would say like the story doesn't have the same kind of precision engineering. And it doesn't quite... Um, some of the plotting's a little woolly, especially towards the end. Mm. I think it has a sort of unnecessary denouement thing, which was like a sort of joke in Hot Fuzz, but it's now just the way the movie ends. Uh, which is... I wouldn't say it's a shame, because like it's like a very accomplished movie, but it's just not quite some of its parts, I would say. And if I did have a problem with it, is that I didn't like the lead too much. I think, in a way, like Ansel Elgort, he's got a bit of a hard job because his character... I mean, his character is literally, he drives and his name is Baby. That's, that's essentially it. He's he likes nice. Music. He's nice, isn't he? He likes music. 
It's nice and to I think his stepdad. Enzo Elgort lacks a little, lacks some star charisma. We were discussing pre-chat that he's sort of dressed a bit like Ferris Bueller, and it's got a certain '80s throwback quality to the movie. But he just lacks that kind of Matthew Broderick, Michael J. Fox, John Cusack. Yeah. Uh, John Hughes character likability yeah and it kind of occasionally it kind of borders on look at his awesome hipster with his cool Ray-Bans and awesome clothes driving about being cool and I'm like yeah I don't yeah know. I think it's I think it's not that but I do I still I do see what you mean I think that the Ferris Bueller type thing is definitely what they were going for um, and it fits with what Edgar Wright was doing in Scott Pilgrim where he cast the sort of awkward gangly nerdy Michael Cera to be this guy who gets to do really really cool stuff and I think there's a similar thing in Baby Driver where he's just supposed to be this sort of everyman kind of likable, cheerful guy. Yeah. And you do have to be careful with that because, you know, there's a danger of them just seeming obnoxious if they're like overly cool and handsome and great and everything they do is brilliant, <laughs> you know. And I think he was probably picked to not be the kind of ultra smug matinee idol type because he looks a little like, I mean, he doesn't quite look like that. Yeah, yeah, he's um he's got a he's got sort of like cute boy next door type features, but he probably doesn't have. Yeah, I think you're completely right. He doesn't have quite like the natural charm that Matthew Broderick has. But I thought it, I like I didn't I didn't find it to be. I, I think he basically accomplished it. But it was like <laughs> he basically did his job, and it was quite good. And I thought Lily James was really good as well. It's like these the sort of the type of role that's never particularly rewarding as the sort of love <laughs> interest. But I thought she did a really good job. She was very charming in it. All the actors actually put in really good performances. Um, we both really liked Kevin Spacey, right? It's the it's best like, he's been in a while. Yeah, Kevin I, Spacey is really good. I'm kind of bored of his just general House of Cards shtick. Yeah. But in this one, he's like really, really funny. Yeah, and he gets like he gets some quite good lines. And I mean, um, John Hamm. Oh, well, I, I love John Hamm, so he can do no wrong in my eyes. But he does like a good, uh, likable to dark. I think like he shared that really well mm. because the script isn't. I don't know. Like it's obviously his character serves a very specific function. But he just kind of like navigated it uh, really well, like very believably. And he has yeah. a cool haircut, and he just is—I don't know—he just—he has got a lot of presence. If you just stick a camera on John Howe, and it's like, yes, this yeah. man is a movie star. I think the movie is definitely helped by that cast. That they're yeah. all kind of like that. John Bernthal's got quite a small role, but he leaves quite an impression because he's you know a cool guy. Um, and uh, Jamie Fox as well. I was a little bit concerned about his character from the trailer because. Um, it looks a bit like a cliche. I yeah. mean, he plays a very similar character in the Horrible Bosses films. Uh, but uh, he actually got quite a bit to do. He got a cool little speech where he sort of owns John Hamm a little bit. The bickering in between the gang characters was quite fun, I thought. And yeah, I, I mean, I just thought it was like a blast. No, I had a great time. I came out of it. it make, I basically came out of it wanting to put my own headphones on and go around strutting about uh being awesome uh learn i had to learn to drive because i can't drive now but i'm gonna drive. i'm gonna drive and i'm gonna learn how and i'm gonna become a joy rider um the most awesome one in town and like i was just i was quite impressed just by the quality of the action scenes i mean it's not just they're like they're really precisely choreographed music but like they're really good the opening car chase is really impressive like some of the car stunts that they do in it um a lot of which are in the trailer but they're extremely excellent and there's a really good foot chase sequence as well I haven't seen one of those in a movie in a while so I, I think you should go out go see Absolutely. it it's a good like it's like a date movie and it's like a sort of go go have dinner go see baby driver you'll you'll have a blast my favorite film stars bridget bardo she's the queen but she wants to be in radio so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end in 
another exciting release is Okja, which is available right now on Netflix, though it got a small cinematic release, I think, as just part of the course, so it's eligible for awards. It is directed by Bong Joon-ho, who I'm a huge fan of. He previously made Snowpiercer, Memories of a Murder, The Host, and The Mother, all of which are excellent, you should see, and is written by him and John Ronson, whose previous script work was co-writing Frank, but also probably better known as a novelist, yeah. a journalist. Also made the menu stare at goats and stuff. He did that. What is that about uh, an evil corporation called the Miranda Corporation, led by Tilda Swinton, have designed a race of super massive pigs. And as a publicity stunt, they send uh, these super massive pigs to 14 farmers around the world. Then the story jumps ahead 10 years later, where our plucky heroine Mija is best buzz with a massive super pig called Okja. And when the company come to take Okja back, plucky Mija goes on a quest to rescue her best friend, and the ensuing journey takes it from Korea to New York and involves the Animal Liberation Front, a mad Steve Irwin-like TV host played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and all manner of crazy and wacky stuff. Here is a clip, not from the movie itself, but from the marketing for the film, which involves Tilda Swinton as the head of this corporation um, trying to sell their product. Hello, I'm Lucy Miranda of the Miranda Corporation. Maybe the Miranda vision has already found its way into your home. There's our organic harvesting and peachy delight baking goods. And don't forget our happy pup treats. What a good boy. Then there's the innovative behind the scenes research we conduct over at Miranda Transformatives and the Miranda Animal Wellness Center. My scientists have discovered that while Miranda pigs dream peaceful and lovely dreams, those less fortunate pigs suffer from the most dreadful night terrors. We cannot know for certain what pigs' nightmares are like, but perhaps they're something like this. Pigs deserve happy dreams just like the rest of us. What an amazing clip. What a clip. I loved it. It was so good. So I loved it. I thought it was great. I love all Bon Joon Ho's previous movies. And I love this one. Me too. I thought it was fantastic. Such consistency. I watched it in a double bill. I went I went to see Baby Driver at the cinema and then I came home and I watched Archer on Netflix. I have to say, it was a great evening. Great night of the movie. Great movies. way for me to spend my time. Yeah, it is fully obviously his work and if you're familiar with his hallmarks they're all here which is a sort of uh ping-ponging round in tone very inventive and uh, quite subversive and this movie is a sort of coming of age action romp heist movie chase satire and it's not really like anything else yeah and um similar to baby driver these kind of movies are few and far between and it's refreshing that even if it is on Netflix, that is getting made. Yeah, I was trying to put my finger on exactly what it is that holds together these Korean films and uh, without wanting to sound like, uh, you know, I'm taking some sort of Orientalist approach where it's like, you know, they're all the same, all these Korean directors. But it, I think there is some kind of unified thing between like Park Chan-wook and Bong Joon-ho and whoever the guy is who directed uh, oh, The Wailing. Jing. Yeah, I can't oh, remember okay. his name. A bit worried I just made up a series of <laughs> But they are, they're very fearless, tonally speaking. And I think there's a, there's a certain like willingness to throw off the shackles of like genre and just, you know, do things. And there's this kind of big splash feeling to it. And also a kind of, 
I don't know. I don't want to sound like too too dorky about it, but the sort of love of humanity, like yeah, they're very very, very human films. Like they're really interested in people, um, and it's something particularly about. Um, well, it's true, and actually, both the whaling and Okja, there's this thing of people, like funct- functional people, have personalities, like the little security guards and the policemen and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're slightly bumbling in a way that makes them all rather charming, and it has the effect of making them all seem very human. And almost everyone in this movie feels like a little character. And there's some great little touches, like a guy who's uh, driving a company van and just does not give a shit about his job (laughs) and that creates this little sort of comedy uh, sequence. And yeah, there's a very detail-oriented attitude to the creation of people in the movie, um, which just makes them so refreshing to watch. It's just like turns into a blast. And once this movie kind of gets going, it doesn't stop. It just sort of barrels along. It's a complete ride. It's this sort of chase heist film starring an incredibly lovable little kid. Yes. And I'm a sucker for a plucky child on a mission. Yeah, this actress, whose name I will now horribly mangle, uh, Si Hun An, is uh, amazing in it. And she reminded me a lot of, what is it, the character? The real person. The actual, genuine uh, real person. Ashley Plain from The Eagle Huntress, in that she is this very winning and charming mix of adorable and like cute but also really fearless and it's about a little girl who's gonna stop at nothing to get her best friend who's a massive pig back she's, i mean if you're on. on board with that then she's you should... fighting the giant corporation giant evil corporation i was yeah and uh yeah her pluckiness is very winning and very moving yeah and it's a um there's a lot of comparisons have been made to uh, Miyazaki films, and that's definitely true, especially in the opening stretches of, you know, cute kid hanging out with massive, adorable animals. Like verdant, lovely yeah, forest Yeah, yeah, that's obviously very sort of my neighbor Totoro. And it's also being compared to Spielberg, which I think is very apt in that they're both, when they're on form, like consummate entertainers. And like you were saying, like every, every scene has some ideas in it, and every character has like some shtick. And even the most functional scenes are sort of subverted or livened up in some way but i think unlike spielberg he is a bit more willing to go to some dark places and not necessarily give you any answers just kind of like provokes these questions and leaves you to ponder them and though there is definitely a humanist streak to it there's also a certain wouldn't say cynicism but uh it's unafraid to go to some dark places Hmm. and uh there's definitely some scenes in the later part of it's quite distressing and uh, I'm not saying the movie's effective, but I'm now a vegetarian. So <laughs> <laughs> I laughed, I cried, I gave up meat. I think there's like, there's this willingness to put your characters through the ringer, you yeah. know, in a, in, a, in a relatively no holds barred kind of way. I, just, I, I kind of feel like these guys just, uh, they know how to grip you by the scruff of the neck and... Uh, sort of play your emotions like a drum and just thoroughly entertain you i could tell this movie was doing a number on me from basically the the absolute beginning of it um so i mean i don't know why this movie isn't getting a theatrical release because i mean it's a bit like what it's very similar to what we said when we reviewed the whaling and like these movies have more ideas and more like vibrancy than like 95 percent of the shit that it just embarrasses hollywood these kinds of movies because yeah. they, because they, you know, they're they're thoroughly mainstream and well, the whaling is not, <laughs> but this movie is like thoroughly mainstream um, entertainment, and it's just just significantly higher quality than pretty much anything that like Hollywood puts out, and they're constantly 
there's 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 you know they always have like boardrooms full of like money men and creators trying to work out how to like get people involved and stuff and like this guy seems to do it like yeah, yeah. effortlessly absolutely um so let's talk about the performances a little yeah, bit better, cause it's gonna... got quite a starry cast actually for a netflix only practically release yeah i was gonna say one of the um fun things about english language debuts by like international directors is that it's a real sort of like just actors the director likes yeah and, like, yeah no hollywood studio would like uh, assemble this cast mm. and they're all doing very fine work tilda swinton has obviously worked with him before and she's doing uh doing her classic tilda swinton batshit performance it's good then. and uh, yeah and she's brilliant at it um jay gillenhall is stretching himself in a in completely <laughs> mad role it's quite divisive if you read the reviews of Ogja, a lot of people have pointed out that like you'll either love it or hate it Personally, it kind of pushed a bit into patience testing waters for me. I yeah, you were a fan. Yeah, of, I, uh, I thought it, I thought it was quite good. I mean, it's very extreme. He was doing a kind of uh, David Cross esque kind of comedy performance. It seemed like almost something from a um, Little Britain sketch. Like it was very, very cartoonish. Well, and he's ridiculous. kind of like a sort of Steve Irwin celebrity zoologist. Yes, who's, whose fame is dwindling. Who's famous dwindling, is... but he's sort of constantly screaming. But it's like his fame is dwindling. But it's like, when was he successful? Because he seems like a children's entertainer from like, you know, a, a completely era. different era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. it can't he can't have been big in two thousand and five. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's very wacky. Uh, you were comparing earlier his performance in this to his performance in Nightcrawler, in that they're both kind of like uh, squealing man on the edge about to have a <laughs> breakdown type performances. And I think that there is enough of that kind of dark undercurrent uh, of psychological realism to this character to, uh, you know, make it basically work as a person rather than just be like a complete cartoon. And I found it kind of fun just seeing him do it. I think that there's like, there's something refreshing about. Or, or invigorating about these uh, serious actors who would just throw themselves into these utterly, yeah, know, that's true. utterly stupid roles. I mean, he definitely um, goes for it. I mean, he is committed to the vision of this movie, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's true. It's not a very vain performance. He's like, he wants to be part of the film, which is a very trite thing to say, but, you know. He wants to be part of this film. He wants to be in the film. Uh, I thought the standout, though, is Paul Dano. Oh, he's amazing, isn't it? He's amazing. Love Paul Dano. He's incredibly cool. He's very soulful. He's got that kind of the crazy eyes thing that you want in your movie stars, that kind of Tom Cruise, like, this. he looks like uh, he's either, like, full of joy or is about to murder you. Um, yeah, very soulful, kind of unflappable yeah. guy. And it's like, there's even his, the conception of his character is very funny because he's the head of the Animal Liberation Front. But there's something funny about these group of, like, they're kind of dressed like terrorists, but they don't want to hurt any living thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like, this sort of oxymoronic... Yeah, uh, the introduction to their, them is really, really good. It's really funny. And, like, he, like, sort of encapsulates that kind of, like, slightly uh, contrary ethos almost. It's like, I want to accomplish all these things, but I don't want to hurt anybody. And I'm, like, got this zen-like calm to me. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's brilliant. I kind of got a crush on him. He's a mes- mesmerizing presence. I'm a vegetarian. I'm gay for Dano. This movie's already done a number he's on cha- me. It's changed you quite <laughs> dramatically. It quite dramatically changed me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a, it seemed to get slightly mixed reception when it when it premiered at Cannes. Uh, and I was expecting it to be uh, like a bit of a mess. And I didn't think it was, actually. Not at all. I thought it was like, it's got a very singular vision. It knows what it's, what it's trying to do. Well, that's the thing about Bong Joon-ho, which makes him so brilliant is that we often like a criticism we level at like bad films like oh it's like seven different movies at once 
but he can somehow do that in a way which is just uh, not at all a mess. He just like navigates it all perfectly. You always feel like you're in safe hands. He yeah. knows exactly what he's doing, and the tone shifts are really effective and are not like in you know sometimes they're startling, but they're startling for a purpose. It's not like a cheap trick. And like when it does go into sort of darker territories, I feel that in lesser hands, you could feel a bit cheated. Like, oh, you've led me, you thought I was watching an adorable movie and now I've got to be confronted with this. But it's all kind of built into it from the start. Mm. And yeah, it just really works. I laughed, I cried. I laughed and cried as well. I got a hard on a Dano, I don't eat meat anymore. I got hard, I got soft. I got hard, I got soft. (laughs) It was a real roller coaster. Yeah. So watch it. It's like I don't think it'll be playing anywhere. It was playing a couple of dates at the Cousin Soho, but I think that's only like a smattering of screenings. It's available on Netflix. If, if you can see it on the big screen, um, go because it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, if not, um, I've got um, Katie's mom's Netflix login. Sick. So just just email me. Just I'll DM us on you. Twitter. Yeah. DM me on Twitter. I'll give Get it to Katie's you. Katie's mom's uh, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. Easy. Be sick. When Ralph heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? And finally, we haven't really prepared much, but there's a few fun news stories we could talk about. Still talking about the news. Yes, uh, so London Film Festival, it's been announced that Andy Serkis's directorial debut, Breathe, is going to open the festival. It stars Andrew Garfield and Claire Foy, and it's some sort of period drama where Andrew Garfield plays a bloke who was paralysed from the neck down and then became something of a uh, spokesperson for abled, disabled rights disabled rights and uh, judging by the trailer innovated came tra- up with some new gadgets to help new disabled gadgets, people new crazy gadgets uh, whereas before disabled people were just sort of bedlocked they're like why don't we just make the chairs be able to breathe and stuff which seemed like a very obvious idea but he pioneered it apparently on this trailer um, but the big question is what is Andrew Garfield's what's voice? up with his voice what's up with his voice let's, can we let's yeah, hear a bit of it it's a little bit of a blast of Garfield Robin you're right, Danny. Much better. Five pounds says you'll never make it. You're wrong. <laughs> Darling, call Teddy. I've had an idea. A wheelchair that does his breathing for him. Are you sure it's safe? Yeah. It's worked so far. Alan, you owe me five pounds. Yummy bastard. Why do you keep your disabled people in prison? No one's believed it's possible to live as you do. Well, we should open the gates and set them free. Bloody virus. What now, up in a world tour? Wouldn't that be an adventure? When I first became paralyzed, I wanted to die. My wife told me I had to live. <laughs> See how our son grow up. Your life is my life. I don't want to just survive. I want to truly live. I mean, far be it for me to question Andy Circus, but on day one, when you've been like, call, oh. call Teddy. <laughs> I mean, uh, Andrew, mate, what's going on? I think I think what we have here is a case of somebody who's done their homework a little too well, and they've watched a few films of some of the older gentlemen in the past, 
doing their voices, uh, and they actually sound... Uh, I want to live. You think you know what a posh person sounds like now? Well, you should hear them in the actual past, when they sound like a Harry Enfield character. Can I, can I ask you a question, Sam? Call, call Teddy. Call Teddy. <laughs> Is Andrew Garfield attractive? Because I think he's kind of weird looking. He is weird looking. He's he's gawky. I think he's. He's got a big jaw. Got a bit of a stupid face. <laughs> I couldn't really buy. Do you him mean as like a... he looks like someone who would be stupid? I can't really buy him as a doctor. You know. Mm. Well, but can you buy him as a fourth generation <laughs> baron? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, exactly. That's why it's good casting. That's true. He's the son of a baronet. Um, yes. Yes. He looks rather aristocratic. He's got this slightly strange face. I don't know. I got a bit of uh, Garfield fatigue just because so much of silence is just like a close with his face, like crying and looking a bit angry. That wasn't good. That was not good accent work in silence either, was it? A bit ropey. <laughs> you should have just done that accent. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I am from Portugal. I- <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, I've come yeah, come the Jabs to- yeah, God. You're, ba- you're barely poor, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, has anyone seen the uh, the missionary, the Irish fellow? Have you seen him around? He's from Portugal as well. <laughs> what do we do? Trample on Jesus' face? Trample, never, trample never. On, I won't do that. No, no. Absolutely no. not. Call Teddy. I certainly won't be trampling on <laughs> Jesus' face. Teddy? Teddy. Teddy, have you heard the latest? But you're putting these chaps upside down in a pit until they renounce the God, the, the Lord oh, Jesus Christ. Lord That's a good show. Don't do that. No, stop that. Stop that right now. Stop that right now. Um... Anyway, the trailer looks saccharine as hell. It looks a bit like the fruit well, of everything, but without know, the maths. It's a very, wor- it's obviously a very worthy tale, but these, it feels like these films are ten a penny now. Yeah, the film about like a dying posh hero. I feel like there's been a few of them, mm. you know, or like the uh, the um, YA type tragic romances. Yeah. It's like why do you make a film circus about all the disabled people being fucked over by the budget cuts? You know what you should do: cast someone who's actually suffering from polio. Or, yeah. yeah. Or well, similar illness. Cast, like, just do at least do that rather now than... Now I've um, seen uh, Gleason, the documentary about the guy with um, Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. Like, I can't, like, I can't view these actors just, like, sitting in chairs, like, looking a bit pained. Yeah. It's, like, it's just not the same. It's like, my sort same. of uh, barometer for the sort of that kind of acting is, like, it's just, you have no idea. But it's, it's true. Not that it's I do, but, it's like, true, though, I mean? isn't it? Like, these films always seem, can't like, rather... acting? They're rather self-congratulatory, you know? Absolutely. That, like, I don't know how much of a function they really serve except to be the next... It's inspiring true story. The next inspiring true story. Yeah, it kind of just, it just coasts off the goodwill of someone else's... You know like what I mean? Tough like, life. Yeah, exactly. Like, the they're not the film's not bringing anything to it. Yeah. It's just like, if you just heard someone tell you about that guy's life, you're like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Exactly. It but doesn't mean the two-hour movie version of that is going to be any... It's going to be really worthy. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And these... Uh, it's getting a bit boring. These movies, this sort of—they all have yeah. the same music in the soundtrack. I'm oh, sick no, of them was... always start starring like incredibly posh people. Like well, awful. We'll just get. We'll get on with it, won't we? We're British. Exactly. That kind of stiff upper lip, you know. Don't be ridiculous. We're British. Well, for, unfortunately, I, I was beaten to with an inch of my life at school, so I'm used to pain. <laughs> and I can uh, use that. I want to live. I want to live. I want to it's hard not to. I feel like anytime I do a posh voice now, I get it's just like all posh voices end up heading towards Bane. That would be extremely painful for me. He's also someone who suffered from a breathing problem, <laughs> so maybe, <laughs> maybe Garfield drew inspiration from uh, Bane yes. for this role. Maybe this is the Bane origin story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> he starts like finding apparatus to leave bed, leave his bed, and just be in a, in a wheelchair. And then like before he knew it, before he knew he it, he's like hitting villain. the gym. He's just got this little thing wrapped around his face, and that's all he needs. And then he's like, yeah. Uh, and I'll put, I'll leave this wheelchair and I'll put Batman in a wheelchair. But I broke you. I broke you. Um, all right, that, I'm not going to talk about films anymore now. That's going to be the end of this week's episode of Film Chat. Thanks so much. Join us next week where we will be reviewing Spider-Man. Yeah. Wait, when is that out? Is that out? Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. So, so we can, so we can sneak it in. Radioactive Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider-Man Homecoming. Radioactive Little Spider-Man. baby high school Spider-Man. I hope they reuse that 90s theme tune. There. Radioactive Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> they just put... They they sort of put the, the Spider-Man tune through like the 90s filter yeah. on Garage Band. Yeah. They just and spat, I hope the CGI is out. as good as those opening credits. We just saw like slowly going through a sort of crappy CGI sets of blocks from some skyscrapers. Epic show. Epic show. Epic stuff. Yeah, so that and anything else? Or? I don't know. Let's just dedicate the whole episode to Spider-Man a Homecoming chat 45 Absolutely. solid minutes let's do it nothing what, else you know an intro. What's, no what's what's keaton's best uh birdman role from birdman or from this film spider-man <laughs> it's gonna be the big talking point all right all right see you then bye bye stanley kubrick is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers and he did me a great honor early in my career that really encouraged me I was working on The Elephant Man and was at Lee International Studios in England, standing in a hallway. One of the producers of The Elephant Man, Jonathan Sanger, brought over some guys who were working with George Lucas and said, they've got a story for you. And I said, okay. They said, yesterday, David, we were out at Elstree Studios and we met Kubrick. And as we were talking to him, he said to us, how would you fellas like to come up to my house tonight and see my favorite film? They said, that would be fantastic. They went up and Stanley Kubrick showed them a racer head. So right then I could have passed away peaceful and happy. I like all of Kubrick's films, but my favorite may be Lolita. I just like the world. I like the characters. I love the performances. James Mason is phenomenal beyond the beyond in this film. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.